everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it's a How I Got Here version of the podcast with Jay Fry, who is the president of competition and operations for IndyCar. Everything that goes on in IndyCar related to the competition side, so the scheduling and technical stuff, all that stuff falls under Jay Fry. And with the IndyCar Championship coming up Sunday at Sonoma Raceway, thought it would be a good time to touch base with Jay and talk about his career, which um, for those of you who uh, have been NASCAR fans for a while, you probably know that he started over on the NASCAR side of things and spent most of his career there before moving over to IndyCar. So a lot of NASCAR talk in this one, as well as IndyCar, but um, you know his, his whole career path pretty much came up through the stock car world. So hopefully if you are fans of either uh, or both, you will find those uh, things interesting in this podcast. So was able to sit down with Jay for quite a while during the Portland International Raceway weekend uh, over Labor Day weekend when IndyCar visited here in Oregon. And so let's just dive right into Jay Fry's story of how he got to where he is today. All right, everybody, I'm here with Jay Fry, and Jay, thank you so much for doing this. I feel like I've had other interviews with you before, except on the NASCAR side that were sit-downs like this, so it's kind of cool to be doing it on the IndyCar side and be here at Portland. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Well, this is awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Um, again, obviously, we go way back, so a little bit a uh, little bit different journey here, but this is we're having a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, when I first uh, knew of you, it was in the MB2 days, uh, pre-Red Bull days, However, I don't know anything uh, really leading up to the the MB2 stuff or even the journey that you had at MB2. So, um, can you can you take me back to the start? Like, you, you know, did you grow up in racing or as a race fan or anything like yeah. that? Um, yeah, um, originally from Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, my family we owned a small garbage trucking company. So, um, it's funny. I basically learned how to drive driving a garbage truck, huh. which is kind of you know unusual. Um, but it was always around mechanical things. Um, it really liked cars and motorsports and, um, it was cool. My dad's company. So the guys would bring stuff back to our shop and, you know, pedal cars and bicycles and they'd fix them up and send them home. So I, at a very young age, I always had all these cool toys and, you know, there were people's trash, you know, one man's trash, another man's treasure, however that goes. Um, so it was kind of neat to have all that stuff. I wish I would still have some of it because there were some really cool old metal metal pedal cars. Um, so that's kind of how, um, you know, I was, again, mechanical background, yes. Um, got very heavy into, you know, stick and ball sports, played basketball, baseball, and football all through high school, and then went to college on a football scholarship. So um, that's, I guess, that that part. And then uh, so I played football at the University of Missouri. Um, had a, It was a you know, really great time there. Uh, first job out of college, I worked for Anheuser Busch, and I was a special event manager for the city of Chicago, and that's where I started actually meeting some people in motorsports. Okay. Um, so that was a, a good thing. Um, through that, I met um, some people with Valvoline, and I remember when I when I left Anheuser Busch, um, they thought I was crazy because things were going really good at AB. Okay. You know, I was doing fine or doing well, and um, you know I wanted to go do this motorsport thing. So when I went to Valvoline, I ran the the NASCAR and the World Outlaw program. Okay. So should I stop or? No, 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 that's good. Well, I mean, so. <laughs> Is there, you, you want me to just keep rolling or? Were yeah. you, so at that point, you know, 
um, I guess first of all, was it was it tough for you to give up the football days, given that yeah. you had gone so far? And yeah, you know. no, no, it's quite, I mean it was a great experience. Got a lot of great friends still in college football or college sports. Um, uh, very proud, you know, able to do that. But it's a whole other level to go from there to the next level, just like it is to go from high school to there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I was I got my degree, met a lot of great friends, you know, lifelong friends, and that was enough. So are you thinking all that time, like, well, at least I still want to do something in sports, or did it not matter that you uh, were necessarily in sports, you just wanted to, you know, see where your career took you? Yeah, well, certainly going to the University of Missouri, obviously in Iserbush, being in St. Louis at the time, um, had a lot of influence on what was happening. A lot of um, uh, Missouri alumni worked today in Iserbush, and um, so got to meet a lot of friends there. And obviously AB was a huge supporter of sports, huge advertiser of sports. So uh, doing the events in Chicago was kind of, um, you'd have local street festivals to, um, you know, when the Rolling Stones came to town, you'd manage that type of stuff. So it was very unique and, okay. and a pretty cool job for a 22-year-old coming right out of college. Um, so it was, you know, it was a great experience. And, and even that, I got to meet a lot of lifelong friends, you know, that, that are still friends. Um, so it was, it was a great experience. So you get to Valvoline and you're working for them, and then how did that transition to the team side from there? Yeah, well, it's pretty cool. In ninety, uh, what year? so I started with Valvoline in ninety, ended ninety one, ninety two. Um, one of the first things that happened that was right when they they started sponsoring Mark okay. and Martin at Roush, um, and then right after that we put the get together the deal with Hendrick, uh, which was then the next year Jeff's rookie year. So it would have been his rookie year would have been the, when we started the relationship. It was at that time, I would say it was probably one of the first B two B deals. Not that there weren't others, you know, but but it was a, a pretty high profile B two B deal. Um, so it was kind of unique. Um, I my office ended up being at Hendrick Motorsports at that time. Wow! So I, you're working for Valvoline, but your office is in Hendrick. At Hendrick. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I was based out of Lexington, Kentucky, my first year with Valvoline, and then it was like you know I was never in Lexington, Kentucky. So um, Rick had a, a small building on top of. Where the 20, old 25 shop used to be, there was a little building next to it. And it was called the Bug Barn. And the Bug Barn was, was where Harry Hyde used to work on his Volkswagens. Wow. It was pretty cool. So I took the Bug Barn and I fixed it up and cleaned it up. And that became, you know, Valvoline Racing South or whatever. Yeah, back huh. then. So I worked out of there for two or three years. And, um, you know, I was around, it was kind of, it was pretty cool or very unique um, being around Rick all the time and being around a Jack Roush all the time. You know, two completely different um, approaches to the way they do things, yeah. But two hugely successful people, and um, you know, again, here's a how do I? I'm a 25 year old, 26 year old who's learning through osmosis through two of the best in the business world and in the motorsports world. So that was a really cool, you know, experience. Um, and the MB2 thing basically happened was um, Rick Eminem um, Mars wanted Hendrick Motorsports to start up back then. It would have been a fourth team, or I asked him about a fourth team, and I don't think there was much interest in it at that time. At that time, huh. so Rick had some friends um, that uh, were interested in starting a team, and obviously they had never done anything like that. So they he got me with them, and um, that's how MB2 was started. Wow, so, so kind of unique. So we you know partnered with Hendrick Motorsports with the engines and. Um, I think at that time people thought it was going to last for two or three years and be something else. And we ended up lasting for 12, which to me, part of our success was our survival. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was, you know, it was a lot of things going on at that time. And, and I look back to on the, you know, being 30 years old ish at that point, um, starting basically a cup team from scratch. 
Wow. Yeah, and hiring a 24-year-old crew chief or 25-year-old, whatever, you know, Ryan Pemberton was at the time. Um, ran it out of an 8,000-square-foot building with, I don't know, we had probably 13 full-time people at that time. And then to think that team um, went and sat on the pole at the Brickyard in 1998. So, I mean, there was, you know, it was a little team that could. Um, it was just a great experience. Again, you speak of lifelong friends. I mean, the guys on that team, um, a lot of them were with us for the, the whole 12 years, mm. which is pretty cool. You know, they always had opportunities to go do something else, but um, they stuck with us, and I'm forever grateful for that. Wow, that's interesting. So as MB2 evolved, um, how did that uh, – I guess I can't exactly remember all that led into – the, the changes and the like the last final years there but obviously the it, demise it, and the, yes the demise i was trying to put that nicely <laughs> right. yeah yeah well i think at that point so you think we were in again my years you know you get so um remember the year before that the partners i had or the in the team um two of them like two years before that had sold to one of the other partners and then my the last original partner um it, again there was it was getting the sport was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we were able to bring in Bobby Ginn. Remember, so at that last yeah. year it was called Ginn Racing. Right. Um, same team, same people, same whatever, just different name on the door. And you know, and a lot of things you know happened there that you know just was looking back. It would you know it was good intentions, I believe, but just didn't work out. So at that point in the industry, there was a lot of consolidation. Mm-hmm. So if you think about MB2, um, basically you know merged with DEI who merged with, you know, Ganassi, who merged with, so there's probably still some MB2 DNA in, you know, Ganassi's cup team at some point. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of cool, or not cool, but the, the, the whole sport kind of, there was a lot of consolidation at that time. So that was tough. That was, um, that was a really bad time. Because, mm-hmm. again, you, you know, you were with this group for 12 years. Like I said, there were, um, there were a lot of them that were with us since day one, and I took – uh, th- their livelihoods and their families very very seriously i mean like like i would go without before i let any of those guys go without or girls and um so when di bought or merged um i had an opportunity to do something you know or continue and i there was no way i was going to without if we all couldn't i wasn't going to be one to stay so i didn't wow wow so we and then uh so you're, you're sort of temporarily on the sidelines, and then Red Bull opportunity yeah. comes up from there? Yeah, so it was in August um, when we made the, um, when that all th- thing happened. It was around the Brickyard time. Um, so at that point, I, I, I did help transition it out. You know, to, there was a lot of things, obviously, loose ends that need to be tied up. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. Um, I really thought at that point I might go do something with, you know, with Hendrick, motor, you know, with Rick or something. wasn't sure. Um, and then I did get a call out of the blue from um, Lee White with Toyota and was wondering what I was going to do and uh, what was next. And we talked for a long time, and um, he introduced me to the Red Bull folks. So the Red Bull stuff had such a um, an up-and-down tenure. I mean, it seemed to be early. Like, if Toyota had been to where Toyota is now, mm-hmm. obviously, instead of just getting into it, I think things would have turned out a lot different, perhaps. Yeah. But in that sense, I mean, do you view those years as, as was like Red Bull ahead of, ahead of its time, and just not able to capitalize on it? Like, what what happened in, in those years? Um, I think there there was a lot of so they started in I think their first full season was seven. So when you said that's what it was because MB two we merged with DEI in, in two thousand seven, right? Yes. Because I started with Red Bull in two thousand eight or the end of 07. Um 
I don't know, again, like you said, Toyota was in their infancy. Red Bull was, you know, starting. I think ex- expectations were pretty high. Um, they there was a lot of changeover at Red Bull because there was um, a Red Bull North America that was involved, and then some things happened there before I got there. And then next thing you know, um, Red Bull Austria is basically overseeing the team. You know, so that was a unique experience. Um, so how it was amazing how I got started. Um, when I mentioned Lee, we had this meeting. The next thing you know. I get a call from the Red Bull, and they're like, you know, we'd like you to come see us. I'm mm-hmm. like, sure, that'd be great. And I'm like, well, you know, when can you? When do you want me to come? And it's like, well, how about today? Right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> or you mean I mean like today? You mean like tomorrow? Or like you know, like come to Austria now? Wow. Basically, it wow. was cool. So I got on a flight the next day at I don't know whatever time, um, landed, basically went and met with them. And this is a, this is a you know a pretty cool you know up and coming great company that one guy founded, you know, an amazing story how he did, and to meet them, you know, it was a really unique experience. Yeah. So we, we talked. Um, I get back to the hotel. I, literally, I, I left, like, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, got there at noon the next day, met at 2, you know, that type of stuff. And then, you know, they called me at the hotel. They're like, we want to do it. I mean, it was like, oh, okay. And so we started <laughs> going through what could happen. I got home the next day, you know, talked about it, and, um, and we put it together and started, I don't know, I think a week later-ish. But, um, you know, it was we very you know, proud of what we accomplished there. I mean, they struggled, you know, a lot in 2007, obviously a lot. And then the next year we, I think, got the, the, the thing pointing in the right direction. The following year we you know, made the chase and won a race. You know, and things were pointing in the right direction. Brian gets sick. You know, that kind of was a setback. Um, or it was for sure a setback. That, that's, that stuff's hard when that thing, type thing happens. Um, and then the, the, getting Casey that year was a, a great thing, great experience with that group. So it was it was a great experience. You know, the international business thing was kind of cool. I never had dealt with that that much. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to be good friends with the Formula One team, which was really cool. So those guys are still good friends. Wow. Um, when we would go, when I would have to go to Austria two or three times a year, and we'd have meetings, it would be you know Dietrich Mateschitz. I mean that's that's pretty cool, right? And right. It would be me, him, um, Christian Horner, Franz Toast, you know, and we would go individually, but we'd kind of be in the bullpen waiting on our turn. And uh, just the stories and what we learned. And um, there was a lot of great collaboration with, you know, Christian and, and Jonathan Wheatley. He's a team manager. He's a good friend. Um, so a great experience. Again, you look back, I, I, the only thing I'm disappointed is I think we really could have made something of it. Yeah. You know, and I just think that. Um, you know, Red Bull's Austria's passion is Formula One. You see what they do, and rightfully so, right? That's that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the, the NASCAR thing was to them, you know, that was, you know, they just, it, 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 they didn't understand, I guess, what what we what we were going to n- need to do to take it to the next level. Yeah, and it was. And they it was expected a, better results. Like they expected yeah. Red uh, Formula One level results immediately. Well, from a when NASCAR we got there, team. our results were better than that team. Oh, so okay. think about it. This was before the championships, and this was before when I when we were at Red Bull Racing. Like the first year, Vettel was still at Toroso. Okay. And then maybe it was the second year that he went to, or maybe it was the third year he went to. Again, my years get mixed up, but um, I remember you know being in one of those meetings and they're talking about Vettel going to Red Bull Racing and what they should do with you know. There's guys on the Toroso that he wants to bring with him. How does that work? And is that okay? And they're asking me, and I'm like, absolutely. You want the driver to be comfortable if he's got he's got somebody he wants to bring with him, let him bring him. Yeah. You know that was my opinion. We're like, you know, we're just talking again, looking back on that type. It was pretty cool. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And the Formula One thing was so cool. So we, the first time we went to visit the Red Bull Racing in Milton Keynes, um, you know, you expect F1 to be everything James Bondish. You know, it's like, you know. So we go in the, the factory, and part of it is very James Bondish. You know, there's just you're overwhelmed, 
But then you go in the back of the shop, and there's some guys bolting the car together, right? And like, <laughs> yeah, hey, there's yeah. our guys. Yeah, I mean, that, right. it's, it's in those like, guys. That's familiar. It's familiar, yeah. It's just racing cars, right? That's what you do. And it was cool. A lot of those guys end up coming, like, to Homestead and things like that at the end of the year. You know, when they were done. It was just, it was a really um, neat experience just to meet a, a great group of racers and just to see how they do things differently. And, and they were overwhelmed by how we did a lot of things. Like, to them, 38 races a year was, was they couldn't wrap their head around that, <laughs> yeah. right? But think of it, they're running 20, round number, but they're going to countries. You know, we were going from, you know, Charlotte to Martinsville. You know, it's, right, it's not right. that far. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think that was a, the, something that they didn't quite understand. And, you know, when they had their flyaways, that's a big deal. And there's three sets of equipment that goes all over the place, and, you know, it's, it's just different. Yeah. So um, how did the transition go from Red Bull and then to ultimately – IndyCar because obviously you had been in NASCAR, you know, over 20 years, well over 20 years, I think yeah. yes. at, to that point. Um, it was, it, was there any hesitation? Like, I don't, you know, maybe I'd want to rather stick in NASCAR than, than go try the IndyCar side yeah. of things. No, it's exciting. Um, so again, when the Red Bull thing ended, um, again, at that point, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And remember that for a year, I did go to Hendrick and do some things that, that help, you know, just okay. what I could do. I had forgotten that. Yeah, they didn't that. need my help in any way. But, again, I'd been around them for a long time, a long, long time. And they're great friends, and I learned a lot of stuff from them, and there's great trust. And, I mean, it just it's, you know, that was family to me. So it was really a cool, good, like, gap year. Uh-huh. You know, it was like, what, what do I want to do next? Do I want to keep doing the team thing? Um, you know, the team thing's pretty tough. You know, there's – um, you know, there's no revenue sharing. There's no, you know, you got to perform on the track and off the track. And again, the, you know, the, taking care of the families uh, was took that very seriously. Uh, so it was really good to kind of catch my breath. And um, over that time period, I got a call from, you know, IndyCar and was wondering what I was going to do next. And, you know, I talked to them and, and that's kind of how it happened. So it was, it was, it was exciting because, again, I look at, again, the F1 piece, getting to learn about that as I did with the Red Bull was, I was very curious about this. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of the people in here, I already knew, you know, there's a lot of teams that there's a crossover on teams, um, some manufacturer stuff, but it was also great getting to meet, you know, people from Honda, getting to meet Firestone, you know, that we had never really dealt with. Um, so it was, it was, a I was very excited about the opportunity and, and still, you know, it's, been phenomenal to this point and uh you know if you think about every day we're able to do something to help it grow to make it better um so the the approach i think we've taken has been you know it seems to be well received so yeah yeah so when you when you take into account what you're doing with indycar now um like how how much do you draw from your your nascar background and, and the whole that whole time here and and how much has been different like is it more similar than different, or is it? Is oh, it's it... way more similar. Okay. Yeah, Because yeah. again, it's what do we do? We race cars, right? Mm-hmm. So the cars look different, but they're cars. Yeah. And there's people involved, just like there is, and it's all about the people at the end of the day that make the cars go fast. Um, so it's it's extremely similar. Um, I think um, the main thing is coming from a team perspective. Everything we do, we we do to see how it affects the teams. So when we first started in this role, um, one of the things I wanted, or we tried to do real hard, is you know harness the power of the paddock. You know, there's a lot of really really smart people out here, and mm-hmm. what you know, helping them, helping us 
craft the direction. And from the harnessing the power of this paddock, we come up with our five-year plan. So we have this five-year plan. We know where we're going, we know what we're doing. The teams are all part of it. Um, now we're just executing this plan. Well, the plan now is actually expanded through 2026 because with the engine program. So right now we know basically where we're going between now and 2026. Hmm. Wow. So we've created this cadence and things. And like as soon as the season's over, we have this team manager meeting. And at the team manager meeting, we talk about 20% of the stuff or, or the meeting is 20% about next year. So about 19. And it's more blocking and tackling stuff. What about this? What about, the, you know, just stuff, you know, procedural things. Mm -hmm. And the other 80% we talk about 2020. So you always try to work a year ahead. So you never want to obsolete parts. You never want to cost teams money that doesn't need to be spent. Um, obviously, there's things that happen throughout the course of a season that you have to react to that might be expensive, but it's everybody gets it. There's a reason. You know, it's a part failure or something. Um, but we've got into this good cadence, I believe. And, again, they were part – everybody was part of this plan. The plan started in 17 when we froze the aero kits, uh -huh. the, the manufacturer kits. And then this year with the new aero kit, um, again, that, that car, uh, everybody had input in it, um, even from a fan perspective, which was very important to us. We put out drawings and renderings to get fans' reaction hmm. to what they thought it looked like, hmm. and it came back very positive. So aesthetically, we're like, okay, we got our identity back. It looks like an indie car, right? You know, some of the, the manufacturer kits were great, but it was a whole different mindset. It wasn't, you know, there was not an aesthetic thing to it. It was about downforce and performance. And this car is very much... Um, putting it back in the driver's hands, which is what we wanted. It has less downforce. Um, we got a new engine coming in 2021, 20, um, which will, you know, we'll be pushing the over 900 horsepower and you know, going back to the. Our, our, it's funny people ask, "What's your niche?" You know, uh -huh. what's our niche, and it's kind of almost you know, we say fast and loud. Yeah, you know, it's it's okay. I mean, every 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 motorsports series has its, its thing, you know, and um, and that's what we're trying, you know, we're going to go back to being, we're, we're fast, we're loud, we're, these cars are um, hard to drive mm -hmm. and, you know, cool to look at and yeah. there we go. That sounds very cool. Well, uh, I like to end each of these by asking um, what advice you'd give to people who would like to be in your position someday. Now your position is quite unique and your career path has been unique, but if there is somebody out here listening to this and they're like, wow. I would love to be IndyCar president. That, yeah. that would be awesome. I love IndyCar. Um, what, where would you suggest that they start? Like, yeah. what, what path is, is the best way to get there today? Okay. Well, it's funny. If you look back, and again, this wasn't part of the plan, but I, you know, I've been on the sponsorship side. You know, I've been um, at the racetrack side, obviously with the IMS and IndyCar. I've been with, you know, on the league side and, and then the team side, obviously. So um, I think we've checked every kind of box kind of that you can you know from a, a motorsport perspective um and it's really just it's um you see it we have interns you know that that work for us that are phenomenal that that have the desire have the effort you know they're smart they want to they want to be part of it so you just got to be persistent and and you know it, it's amazing again you look back i would have never thought i would be doing what i'm doing now Right. I mean, how did right? How does all this happen in your life and things? Right. You know, things change, and um, you know, very excited to be where I'm at. And um, again, we, you know, we think we've got you know some good good momentum, some good things happening. So um, just be persistent, and, and and again, don't be afraid to do whatever you're asked to do, and then do twice that. Yeah. Yeah. People will notice. That's interesting. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do it. I know it's a busy race weekend here, so this uh, means a lot that you'd be willing to sit down. So yeah. thanks. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody, so there you have it. 
Jay Fry on the podcast and really appreciate him taking so much time to do that. If you would like to see some pictures of Jay Fry's NASCAR days as well as his IndyCar days, um, I posted those with the interview over on jeffgluck.com. So uh, if you want to check those out, those should be there for you. Little housekeeping here before we go. So uh, coming up on the next edition of the podcast, it's going to be a post-race podcast from Las Vegas Motor Speedway, where I will grab a media member there and hopefully talk to you about what happened in the first race of the NASCAR playoffs. Then coming up on Tuesday, it's going to be a 12 questions with Rico Abreu from the sprint car world, did a little bit of NASCAR as well. And then next week's How I Got Here is also from the Sprint Car World. It's with the famed announcer, Johnny Gibson, who announces all of the World of Outlaws races. And I will ask him how he got to be having such a cool job that he has traveling around the country with the World of Outlaws. Before I go here, I want to give some shout-outs to some of my patrons. These are people who pledge $10 or more per month on my Patreon page, and they help keep me going. Uh, to all the races, as well as make a living from this, which is pretty amazing that uh, it's been going on a year and a half now or over that. Um, So pretty appreciative of all those people. And this week, I want to thank Andrew Gillen, Doug Gamble, and Danielle Hinton. Thank you all so much. And thanks to all of you who support the website and the podcast uh, through your pledges at patreon.com slash Jeff underscore Gluck. Anyway, that's all for now. Hope you enjoyed this podcast and I'll talk to you next time on the untitled Jeff Gluck podcast.